Uh, we are continuing our series through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, last week we were in chapter 10 and we looked at the passage about marriage and divorce. And I heard from a number of you this past week expressing appreciation for being faithful to God's Word even when it's unpopular, even when it is challenging. And I just want to say I'm very grateful to be at a church that appreciates and values just straightforward teaching from God's Word. So thank you very much. Uh, we learned last week that marriage is permanent. And uh, I was reminded of one of my good friends who got married. He was one of the first of my friends to get married. And several months after his wedding, we were hanging out, talking, and we asked him, you know, none of us were married except for him. And we said, what is married life like? And he kind of talked like a surfer. <laughs> and he said, man, marriage is great and all, but she's always there. <laughs> and yeah, that's what marriage is. She's always there. He's always there. It is permanent and it's good. And we learned last week that one of the purposes of marriage is children, having children. This is how it works, right? A husband and wife have a child, have a son and another husband and wife have a daughter and the two leave their parents, amen, and they cleave to one another and become one. The two become one. And then they continue. This is God's plan. It's his divine plan. And today we're going to talk more about the, the children in the, uh, in the design. So if you would please turn in your Bibles to Mark 10. If you would please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. I am going to begin reading in verse 13. We will read through verse 16, and this is God's very word. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful you give us your good design for marriage, for family, for children. I thank you for the children who are represented here at Vista Grande Baptist Church. We thank you for them. I thank you for the children in our families, in our homes. Uh, help us from our text this morning. Help us learn how to think more faithfully, more biblically about these children. And I pray that you would teach us from children so that we might have childlike faith that honors you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I think there are two main points for us to consider in this passage. First, we should value children. And secondly, we should learn from children. So let's look at the first one. We should value children. Look at verse 13. And they were bringing children to him. We don't know exactly who they is. I think it's a safe assumption that they is probably parents. Parents were bringing their children to Jesus. The word child here could, could, could be a newborn, an infant. Uh, it could be all the way up to around 12 years old. So I think we should picture multiple ages coming to Jesus, being brought to Jesus, why would they bring their children to Jesus? It says, so that he might touch them. Matthew says it like this, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. 
In Mark 10.1, we saw where large crowds were gathering. And in Matthew 19, it tells us that he was healing many in this large crowd. So here's the scene. Large crowd, tons of people. People are bringing their sick to Jesus to be healed. And the parents are saying, let's take our children to Jesus. You know, why not? Like they may not be sick, but this man who can heal people, let's take our kids to him and maybe they can get a blessing or get something good from him. I mean, you know, I think these are good parents with good intentions in mind. Let's take our children to Jesus and see what might happen. But here's the problem. Here's the conflict. The disciples rebuked them. The disciples are going around in the large crowd saying, hey, those of you who have children and your goal is to bring your children, we're going to ask you to go to the back of the line. Or, or better yet, just go home, right? Now, why would they do that? Why would the disciples do that? What are they thinking? The text doesn't tell us. I think we can make some safe assumptions. One safe assumption, I'm guessing they think it's kind of a waste of time. Right? We got serious issues here. We got people who are sick. We got people who are, you know, in need of healing. And Jesus is here to heal and he's here to teach. We're here to do ministry. We're not here for photo ops and holding babies and kissing babies. Like, let's, we got serious work, serious ministry. So please, you know, if you've got children and your goal is just to get him to hold your children for a little bit, would you be willing to hold off, go to the back, go home? Because we've got some real pressing issues here. Well, they're being managers. They're managing the ministry for Jesus. And we've seen them do this before, right? And we've seen them get in trouble for it before. In Mark 9, they said, hey, Jesus, we saw this guy casting out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he wasn't one of us. We did right, didn't we? And Jesus is like, no, that's not the right way to go. You're wrong. You're, you're not managing the ministry well. And here Jesus corrects him again. Look at verse 14. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Jesus sees his disciples preventing children from coming to him. And the Bible says he was indignant. Angry. That word indignant means very angry. And it's the only place in the Bible that says explicitly Jesus was angry. We see other times when he got angry. But this is the one time where it tells us he was angry. Now that raises an interesting question. Jesus got angry. We thought he was God. If he's God, how could he get angry? And the answer is God gets angry too. God has a holy anger. Jesus has a holy anger. Hell exists because of God's anger. Hell exists because of God's eternal wrath and his eternal anger and opposition against sin. So how can Jesus get angry? He can get angry. He's God. And it's a holy anger. You and I, when we get angry, it's often polluted with sin. Why? Usually because of what it is we're angry about. Sometimes we have a holy, righteous anger, but sometimes it's, it's not. Often it's not. And oftentimes the way we respond in our anger reveals sin. Jesus never responds in a sinful way, but he gets angry. And you know what you're passionate about by what you get angry about. Like, tell me a time in your life when your heart started beating because you got angry, and I'll tell you what you're passionate about. I'll tell you what you value by what you get mad about. What does Jesus get mad about? What does Jesus get angry about? This is the one time that we're told Jesus got angry. And what is it about? He's angry because there are people preventing children from coming to him. And he gives two commands. Let them come to me. Do not hinder them. And then he gives us a little teaching 
time, and we'll come back to that here in a second. But then notice how the situation, the conflict gets resolved. Verse 16, he took them in his arms, he blessed them, laying his hands on them. So verse 13, we are told that the parents went just to get Jesus to, to touch them, but now we are told he does more than that. He takes them in his arms. He holds them. You know, I can imagine the little ones, Jesus actually picking them up, babies holding them, blessing them. The bigger ones, I'm guessing, he got down and embraced them and wrapped his arms around them. And it says that he blessed them. He values children. The disciples need to learn this important lesson. They need to learn to value children. And you and I need to learn this important lesson, to value children. I want to point out two specific areas where we should value children. First of all, we should value children in the church. And I want to highlight some children's ministries that we have at our church just to say, hey, if you're interested in getting involved, serving, getting your kids involved, we have a lot of areas where you can get involved in children's ministry. And we hope you'll value children at Vista Grande. First, I just want to point out our church has a children's minister. This is a newer position. Uh, it used to be a children's director, and prior to that, it was a very part-time children's director. And I am very grateful that our church has leaned into this area of children's ministry and really beefed it up and invested in it. And we now have a children's minister who, by the way, is doing a great job. Jimmy Peck's doing a fantastic job. Um, on Sunday mornings, we provide nursery, child care, Sunday school classes. Our Sunday school classes are age-graded. Our Sunday school classes, the kids are about to promote to the next grade. That'll happen on August 15, so that's an important date to keep track of. We get to meet their new teachers. Jimmy told me that they are in need of some help on Sunday mornings, children's ministry, and he wanted me to make it clear they're not necessarily in need of teachers, and they're not necessarily in need of people who will commit to be there every single Sunday. Like they really just need some helpers to kind of help and really to just help as often as you can. Maybe it's once a month. Maybe it's twice a month. So here's the point. If you're interested at all in just learning more about how much you might get involved and serve, please talk with Jimmy Peck, our children's minister, about that. We also have Awana, which meets on Wednesday nights, learning the Bible, doing all kinds of fun activities. That will begin August 25. We also have on Sunday evenings our kids' choir. That's going to kick off on August 22nd. And I'm confident that both of those ministries would love to take help from anyone who might be interested in that. Other children's ministries at Vista Grande include Vista Kids Preschool. They are gearing up for another season. It's about to kick off. It's, it's strange how everything seems like it's about to start. I feel like we should be right in the middle of the summer. And yet here we are talking about everything starting in the fall. And it's happening too quickly. But nevertheless, it's happening. We have 162 kids signed up. Uh, which means we're full. We have 19 teachers. So think about that. Every day here at Vista Grande Baptist Church, we have families coming in, children coming in, ministering to them, ministering to families and children in our area. It's a great ministry. And if you'd like to get your kids signed up for that, uh, they do give priority to members of our church. And so it's, it's too late for this year, but perhaps for down the road, that would be something you could look into. Other things we have going on. Vacation Bible School is a high priority for us. Fall Festival. We have camps, custom-made girls, custom-built boys. We have all kinds of stuff going on. So you have kids, you have grandkids. We'd love to help you get them connected. You have an interest in serving in children's ministry. We'd love to help you get connected. We do run background reports, and we do have a lot of accountability in place and checks and balances. Um, but if you'd like to start that process, we'd love to talk to you about that. I also appreciate 
the fact that our church just has a spirit of welcoming children in our church. I appreciate that our church welcomes families and children. Uh, one value for our, for my family, we really value our children worshiping with us on Sunday morning corporate worship as, as, as soon as they're able uh, to be able to sit with us and worship with us. And I would commend that to you to, to, to make that a value as well. And I just want to point out, we understand your kids are going to be wiggly if they're young. They have a lot of energy and it's going to take a little time and they're going to have to learn and it may be they're in here for part of the time and then out for part. It may be that they leave a time or two. We understand that. They're young kids and they're learning the important discipline of corporate worship with family and we welcome you. We welcome your family. We want to have a church that has a spirit that welcomes the little children. I think it's also important for us to consider how valuing children in our church fits with our mission. Our mission is to make disciples. That means seeing people come to Christ, and it means seeing people grow in Christ. And children uh, is a, 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 a very strategic evangelistic group, target group. Because listen to this, half the people that come to Christ do so before the age of 13. So think, assuming they don't come to Christ until they're five or six, five or six to 13 is a small window, just a few years where half the people who come to Christ do so within that window of time. How strategic is that age range? Five, six to 13. Two-thirds of people who come to Christ do so before the age of 18. How strategic is it for us to be intentional about doing evangelism with people who are 18 years and younger? We, we want to be intentional with everybody. I'm not suggesting we, we de-emphasize some group, but I am suggesting we emphasize and we prioritize evangelism as it relates to children, especially up to the age of 18, and, and especially between the ages of 5 and 13. So here's my encouragement. Let's continue to have a, a spirit as a church that welcomes families and children and values children. We also want to make sure as a church that we are equipping parents to do the job that they're supposed to do. So this brings us secondly, we should value children in the home. What does it look like to value children in the home? Well, first of all, it means couples have children, right? If you're going to value children in the home, you have to have children in the home. So you have children or, and or you adopt children. And then it doesn't stop there. You don't say, well, we had children, we're done. You're welcome. You have children, and then you raise them in the Lord, which means what? Well, first of all, it means creating an atmosphere where they're loved unconditionally, unconditional love, affection. And, and, and it also means creating an atmosphere where they know there are rules, and there's consequences, and there's right and wrong, and there's punishment, and they know it. And the rules are consistent, and the rules are fair, and the rules make sense. They, they meet the common sense standard. Right? And, and, and it also means modeling the gospel before your children. And it means sharing the gospel with your children. And it means raising them and teaching them and equipping them in God's word. And we want Vista Grande to be a place where you're encouraged in that and where you're equipped with resources to do that. It's hard. It's challenging. At our house, devotionals often end up turning into like wrestling matches. <laughs> How did this happen? <laughs> you know, it's It's chaos. And that's sometimes what family devotionals look like, often what they look like at certain stages of life. And it, 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 you have to just understand that and be okay with that. And we want to be resource you 
You know, a couple resources I'll mention. I actually wrote a small little booklet called Theology with Kids several years ago. That might be a, a tool you could use. Um, another resource we've used at our house is called the New City Catechism Devotional. And it's a good book to work through. Catechism is the way kids have historically learned in the church and in homes. It's not just a Roman Catholic thing. This is a Protestant thing. Look it up. Check out the history. But it's memorization. It's learning questions and answers. This is the way historically kids have learned uh, all, all subjects, but, but especially the Bible and God's Word. And by the way, going through the Bible is a good way to teach your children. Just read through the Bible and talk about it and explain it. And we have some good children's Bibles we would love to point you toward as well. So here's the point. Jesus valued children. We should value children. Second, we should learn from children. Look at verse 14. Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus tells his disciples the reason they should not prevent the children from coming to him is because the kingdom of God belongs to people such as these children. It belongs to people like them. And Jesus says there's something you can learn from them. What can you learn from them? Verse 15, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So we learn from kids how to receive the kingdom of God. We can learn something from kids about how we receive the kingdom of God. Let's talk about what that means. First of all, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the reign of God, the rule of God, the domain of God, which when Jesus came, Jesus is the king. When Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God was here with us. Is the kingdom of God here now? Partially, but not yet fully. We're waiting on the day when the king returns again and the kingdom of God is here fully. But until then, Jesus says we are supposed to receive it. Enter into it. We can receive it. How? He says you receive it like kids. You have to receive it with a childlike faith. What does that mean? What is it about kids that we're supposed to be like? First of all, let me point out two ways that I don't think we're supposed to be like kids. First of all, I don't think he means here we're supposed to become childish. You know, there's a certain aspect of children that they're supposed to grow out of and mature out of. And it's not necessarily wrong. It's just five-year-olds act like five-year-olds. And eight-year-olds act like eight-year-olds. And it's not bad. It's not wrong. What's wrong is if they stay that way, you know, forever. Uh, that's a problem. And so Jesus is not saying here, be childish. Uh, Paul says it like this, 1 Corinthians 13, 11, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people, boys in particular, who don't grow up into manhood. They just keep acting like boys, even though they, they're grown, they're men. They're supposed to act like men, and they often kind of still act like boys, and that's a problem. So Jesus is not commending that. Secondly, I don't think Jesus is saying, you know, you need to be real sweet and cuddly and cute and innocent like a baby, right? I don't think he's pointing to the awe factor, right? I've noticed when we have baby dedications and we bring parents up and they're holding their babies and I usually go through some oaths and some vows I can tell none of you are listening to anything I say <laughs> ever like not a word and it's perfectly fine I understand you know in fact I'm going to test it sometime I'm just going to say something really off the wall <laughs> and y'all aren't going to even notice it at all 
And the reason is because you're all just gawking at the kids up here. Like, oh, look how cute she is. Oh. And that's wonderful. That's fine. That's perfect. It's supposed to be like that. That's good. That's one of the reasons why we have kids up here, you know? Like, any opportunity to bring young kids up, let's do it, right? Uh, we, we enjoy that. We like that. That's fine. But I don't think Jesus is saying, hey, you guys need to be real sweet and innocent and cute like these children up here. For one reason, uh, children aren't always sweet and innocent, right? I mean, you don't believe me, just have one. <laughs> and then come back and tell me children are always sweet and innocent and cute. Right? Secondly, the Bible, and more seriously, the Bible teaches what is called original sin. We all have sin that originates with Adam and it originates by our union to Adam, our relationship to Adam. At birth, we are all sinners by nature. We are by nature children of wrath, as Paul says. And as soon as a person is able, he or she will break the moral law of God, will transgress the moral law of God. Why? Because of a sinful nature. So I don't think Jesus is saying, look how innocent and sweet and cute and cuddly they are. You need to become like them in order to receive the kingdom of God. What then does he mean? How are we supposed to be like children? What does it look like to have childlike faith? I want to point out two ways I think Jesus is talking about. First of all, the humility of faith. I think it is the humble status of these kids that Jesus is drawing attention to. I think they are unlikely candidates to get attention. I think the fact that the disciples are so quick to shoo them away is the proof that what Jesus is talking about here is the humility of faith and the humility of the status of these children. I think that the, the disciples' mentality is, let's let the kids go over there and play so we can get on with the serious work and the serious ministry. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you've got it backwards. You need to have faith like these children in order to receive the kingdom of God. So bring them over and learn from them. I think we are meant to contrast the children in this passage with the key character in the passage we're going to look at next week, the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler is wealthy. And he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, go sell everything you have. The man was rich. And so he couldn't do it. He loved his wealth more than Jesus and more than eternal life. And he went away sad. And, and Jesus says to the disciples, he turns and says, it's, it's impossible for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And how do the disciples respond? They say, if that's true, then who can be saved? Because rich people are always at the front of the line in everything in life, right? Everything in life, rich people are always at the front. They can pretty much do whatever they want. Like, you have enough money, you want to fly to the, you know, the universe? You can do it if you have enough money. If you have billions of dollars, you can go fly out in the solar system. Take your friends with you. You have enough money, you can probably hire a legal team to get you off from your legal troubles, right? Wealthy people have the opportunity to pretty much do whatever they want. They're typically at the front of the line. And kids are not like that. Kids don't have great wealth. Kids are at the back of the line. They don't have friends in high places. They don't have, uh, you know, the ability to, 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 to work the system and tweak the system. They're kids. They're at the back of the line. And they're thought of as being at the back of the line. Society thinks of them as being at the back of the line, especially in this society. And what's Jesus saying? 
The first will be last in the kingdom of God, and the last will be first. So become like these children. Become like a person at the back of the line. Humble yourself. Don't have the attitude and the mentality of the people at the front of the line. What's their mentality? Their mentality is like the rich young ruler. Like, I've pretty much got it all. I've got money. I've obeyed all the commandments. Here I am. Sign me up. Like, I, God's getting a pretty good deal with me here. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm experienced. I, I bring a lot to the table. I'm a hard worker. Like, surely God would want me to be a part of his kingdom because I can add a lot. Jesus says, that's the mentality of a person who actually won't even enter the kingdom of God because of his pride. It's the person at the back of the line who recognizes their need and comes empty-handed and says, I really bring nothing to the equation. Jesus says, that's the mentality that you have to have. That's the attitude that I'll accept. That is necessary for entrance into the kingdom of God. I, I don't think it's any coincidence. In Luke's gospel, in Luke 18, the story that precedes this passage is the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You remember the story. The Pharisee's like, God, thank you that I'm righteous and way more righteous than them, way more righteous than all these people that I see in the world. Thank you. And uh, lengthy prayers and check me out. And Jesus says, that man will never inherit the kingdom of God. That man will never leave here justified because of his arrogance. He thinks he belongs at the front of the line. No one who thinks they belong at the front of the line can enter the kingdom of God. Who can? In, the, in, in Luke's gospel, it's the sinner. It's the sinner that the Pharisee says, thank you, I'm not like him. It's the sinner who's got his head bowed, beating his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, now that's the one that went away justified. That's the one who can enter the kingdom of God because he knows he's last in line. He knows he's undeserving. He's coming empty-handed. I think it makes sense, if you step back and think about it, that the one qualification that God requires to enter the kingdom of God is humble faith. If it were anything else other than humble faith, it would be a work. It would be something we contribute. If God said, I, I, what I require is sweetness. You've got to be a sweet person. It'd be something I do. If he said, you have to be an honorable person, it'd be something I do. If he said, you have to be a good person, a religious person, a conservative person, it'd be something I do. I do that. I bring that to the table. What is the one qualification that God says, you cannot enter in unless you have this? The answer is faith alone. Faith alone. And if you try to bring anything else in and try to add anything to the equation, there's no getting in for you. This kind of reminds me of every time I go to the DMV and try to get my license renewed or my driver's license renewed, I'm always so concerned that I'm going to go in there and there's going to be something they want me, to, some document I need that I don't have and I'm going to have to come back and go through the whole process of waiting and taking the number and waiting for an hour and all that. So when I go, I mean, I go way over prepared. Like, I take my driver's license. I take my passport. I take copies of bills that prove that I live in Colorado Springs. Um, I'll take, like, a report card from the fifth grade just to prove, you know, I passed the fifth grade. Like, I'm ready for anything and everything they could throw my way. And I'm, like, showing them three copies of everything they asked for just ready because I don't want to have to go back and do that again and that's okay you know if you go to the DMV and you take too much no problem but when it comes to the kingdom of God entrance receiving the kingdom of God if you try to bring more for your right standing with God you cannot enter in 
faith alone, Christ alone, God's grace alone for your right standing with God. What is the equation? Faith alone. You have to come empty-handed. That's the one requirement. That's the one qualification. You have to come empty-handed, which means you have to come recognizing, I'm a person who belongs at the back of the line. I don't deserve God's mercy. I don't deserve God's grace. I cannot earn it. I can't go to church enough. I can't pay enough money. I can't be good enough. I come empty-handed. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And my question for you this morning is this. Have you come to a point in your life where you've gone empty-handed to God and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner? Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. I come clinging to Christ and Christ alone. I'm a beggar in need. I deserve none of it. And I need everything you've done for me in Christ. Have you come to a point in your life where you've come humbly like a child to God with open hands? The humility of faith, I think we learn from children. Secondly, we learn the object of faith in this passage. I think we learn from this story that the object of faith is Jesus. The kids are taken to Jesus. Contrast that with the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus, but what's he asking for? Eternal life. He wants eternal life. How can I get eternal life? He's not overly interested in Jesus. Jesus is sort of a means to an end. Jesus, he thinks, might can get him the eternal life, but when Jesus says you've got to go sell everything you have, he says, no thanks. He goes away sad, but he says, no thanks. He doesn't have a childlike faith. A childlike faith would say, okay, I'll sell it all. You know, if, if my kids were standing there and Jesus said, sell everything you have, they'd say, Dad, do it. Give all our money away. And I said, what do you mean our money? <laughs> you know, <laughs> our money is my money. My wife and I's money, right? The, a childlike faith says, just tell me, like, just point the way and I'll go. And they're, they're unhindered, right? It's like, sure, I'll do it. In fact, we actually have to teach children to not be like this. We have to teach them to do a little risk analysis. Like, is it worth it? What's it going to cost, right? But I think Jesus is highlighting. This is what children are like. If they want something, they go for it almost like indifferent to the consequences. They just give it to me right now. I want it. And I think Jesus is saying, childlike faith looks like that. You've got to have childlike faith. We were, we were leaving church last Sunday, and we were some of the last ones out of the building, and I was with my, two of my kids, and we, as soon as we walked outside, we were heading in this back east parking lot, and my two younger kids just started making a dead sprint for the vehicle, you know, just all out, like who can get there first? And there was this little bed of rocks sort of in the middle of it all, and, and, and they went through it, and that didn't turn out real well. Uh, one of them got tripped up on the rocks, fell, scraped his hand, blood, had to come back in the building, you know, clean it, bandage it, hold it, keep the blood, and then go back out to the car. And I consoled, first of all, consoled, and then secondly, tried to use it as a teaching opportunity. You know, like, let's do a little risk analysis here, you know? <laughs> If you go through the rocks, like you might get there a little quicker, like a second or two, maybe. Or you could just do a few steps around the rocks and probably avoid the risk of falling and avoid having to go back in and wash the thing and then come back out. So it, it, eventually, it might actually be quicker to go around the rocks. But th this is the way kids are, and it's wonderful. It's great. That's what's wonderful about kids. Like, I want it. I'm going to get it. Give it to me now. I can't think about anything else until I get it. 
And Jesus is saying, look, do you have that kind of reckless abandonment in your faith where you say, just give me Jesus? You can have all the world, just give me Jesus. Have you come to a point in your life where, A, you've come with humility, like, God, I don't deserve this at all, but I come clinging to the cross, I come clinging to what Jesus has done. I'm not clinging to anything else but Christ alone for my right standing with you, and I'm going after him with reckless abandonment. This is how you receive the kingdom of God, like a child. We receive the kingdom of God initially, and one day when the Lord returns, we will enter the kingdom of God. And we will experience it in its fullness. And guess what? You enter it the same way you receive it. It's by faith. You never mature from a childlike faith. If you mature and grow up from a childlike faith, something's off. You you receive the kingdom of God like a child. Humility. I don't deserve it. I'm at the back of the line. Who am I? I cling to Christ alone. Just give me Jesus. That's how you receive the kingdom of God. That's how you enter the kingdom of God. It is by faith from first to last, Romans 1.17. And one way you know you've experienced the kingdom of God and you've received the kingdom of God is, guess what? You, you think of others the way Jesus does. You think of children the way Jesus thinks of children. You think of the least of these the way Jesus thinks of the least of these. You look out for the people who tend to be at the back of the line. You don't just look out for the people who can scratch your back. Like, I'll take care of him because I know what he can do for me later down the road. That's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is, I'll look out for you because you're the least of these. And you can't scratch my back. Because you know what? I am the least of these. And I am at the back of the line. And I am undeserving. And yet, look at what God did for me. He brought me to Jesus. And Jesus blessed me. Just like Jesus blessed these children. So I can't help but turn around and and, and care for the least of these. And care for the, the children. And care for those who tend to be at the back of the line. So this morning, here's what I urge you. Make sure you have a childlike faith in Jesus. That's the only saving faith there is. Faith that is marked by humility. Who am I? Wow. I don't deserve any of it. But I cling to Christ and Christ alone. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. And because I've been saved in this way and I've experienced God's grace in this way, I can't help but turn around and take care of those who tend to be at the back of the line because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Let me pray for us.